Hello and welcome to the bum 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 bow. He came right. It had to be good this time. Yeah, because we, we got such an amazing guest. It's true. It's true. Had to do it honor. So, <laughs> so you, Lou, you said you haven't listened to the podcast yet, but. Uh, what episode was it? It's like the, the second or third or episode. Second, somebody had mentioned that we don't have a jingle at the beginning. And so my dad was like, oh, I'll just make a, a, a little <laughs> some sounds or whatever. And since then, I've pretty much made him do it every episode since then. And I don't want to add a jingle because I think it's absolutely adorable. But this is the Richard, the the Mullet Over. This is the Richard Mole podcast with, with Dr. Mullet Over. No, I, I insisted on the name change. The name change. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I do like actually the name of it. The Mullet Over the podcast. Mullet over, yeah. Well, shout out Matt Kendall for the name idea. Yeah, that is uh, that's something that has been a dad joke from from my dad for as long as I can remember. So now it has become the name of the podcast. And it's so, an expression. It's not a dad joke. Right. That's exactly it how you lives use on it. For, it lives on forever. It will now for in infamy. All right. You want to introduce our guest, Lou Fiorito. I. Um, often when I, I end up talking about Lou different times, he doesn't realize it, but, um, but I, I, I go, he was one of the most remarkable people that I know, just been a friend for a long time. And, and I, I had, I had got to have lunch the other day with Fred and Eileen and Fred's one of those people that I go, he's like a legend, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and Lou is one of those people that is like a legend. Um, the things that he, he, uh, was blind mostly since birth. He'll tell more of that story and get, get some of the details. But what he has gone on to accomplish and the things that he does are incredible. What he does in God's kingdom, what he does, um, just the things like walking to and from work, um, putting up his own Christmas lights, hanging ceiling fans, stuff that's like, in my mind, that's like legendary. And uh, and one of the reasons, like, I, I was like, man, I want to have Lou on here. Is and and uh, he already told me he's got a response for this one, but um, is is like you would think that this is a um, huge handicap, but he lives as if there are no handicaps. It seems like most of the time, like like the sky's the limit on what he can do. Um, yeah, driving um, a car has been something he's. Um, never been allowed to do in public at least <laughs> oh i want to hear this story. there, there, there are some things this one. there are some things that um but but it's just amazing it's like like yeah that that's one of the things that i was like i we see so many people that have so much less stacked against them and that's their excuse for mm. not accomplishing or doing much with their life and uh, and I'm like, you have been an inspiration, are an inspiration, and and I I believe you'll be in. This will be a pretty inspirational podcast. So, welcome, Lou Fiorito. That's quite thank, thank you. It's just too much. I was about to say that's quite the introduction. It's like <laughs> yeah, you do have the best introduction so far. I can't. You're not going to live up to I it. I can't but. live up to this. At all. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to work. <laughs> Can we stop now? Right. <laughs> so as long as he's going to do that, I have to tell you, I was just visiting with some people um, Wednesday, and they asked me how I knew Richard. And I, uh, I'll, uh, I was in a prayer meeting, at, and we were in, uh, was backstage at this church, uh, at a, a school auditorium, and we were backstage, and we had these metal folding chairs, and we're sitting in a circle, and we're going to pray, and 
you pray, then the next person prays, then I pray, then I'm oh, it's so boring, you know. But anyway, I didn't know any other way to pray. And all of a sudden, this dude walks in the room, totally ignores the fact that other people are praying, and he's walking around praying, <laughs> reading scripture, just praying. And I'm thinking, you know what? I want that kind of freedom in my life and my spiritual walk. Mm. And so um, <clears throat> that's my first introduction to Richard. And then got to spend a lot more time with him. And uh, I give him a lot of credit for helping me become free in Christ. A mm. uh, big deal to me. And so uh, hanging a ceiling fan is nothing like what, you, <laughs> what you've done for my, my, my walk. Mm. So, but thank you. Yeah. So you, you started a business a while back. You want to tell a little bit of that story, how that has come to be and... And, and and what Braille Works is now today? Sure, I um, I got to ask a question. Is there a camera I was supposed to be looking at? Absolutely not. We're just talking to each other. Okay. There is a camera, but but uh, no, nobody looks at it. <clears throat> okay, okay. So a little bit of backstory. All four of my grandparents came from Italy. My my mom and dad were first generation <clears throat> in this country, and I'm second. But my grandparents and most of my family owned their own businesses of one kind or another, generally hardware businesses or house building or... Um, or at least that was the front for them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or a no, bar kidding. or whatever. Any, so, so I always wanted to have my own business, but you know, I didn't know what to do. So um, when I, I went to college and then when I was 22, I worked for the Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> And, uh, you know, this is a government job, and I just didn't fit the government mold at all. <laughs> I just didn't. I was a very free-spirited person. And uh, a, a friend of mine told me that, you know, the only way you're going to really make it, Lou, is to have your own business. Well, I'm 22, 23 years old, and it's like, yeah, how's that going to happen? Fast forward, I left IRS when I was probably in my mid-30s, and Went to work at a Christian school, and a series of events happened there that that job went away. And I did a bunch of other jobs working different places. <clears throat> and then I was working at this one place, I got fired. And I'd never been fired before. So I got fired, and that gave me unemployment. So Joyce and I, my wife, Joyce and I were at a, a Mexican restaurant, and they gave us a Braille menu and I'd never seen one before. And so I said, uh, can you leave this here? I want to just mess around with this. So that's when I learned that jalapeno was spelt with a J. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so we started talking about <clears throat> starting a Braille company. And my wife had a secretarial service, an overflow secretarial service. And she said, well, honey, we can do this. We have a fax machine. And I said, somehow I don't think a fax machine and Braille are going to work. But I started to research uh, how to do this and discovered that there was Braille embossers that were kind of like old-fashioned dot matrix printers where the head went back and forth and put the Braille down. There was software that you could actually type in Word. At that time, it was Word Perfect, but you would type in Word and it would actually convert it to Braille. Um, so, you know, God just really opened some doors and, uh, we started this business and it was, it was pretty rocky. Uh, this is very rocky. 
But we hit a big account and we made a lot of money in a short amount of time. And we spent a lot of that money in a short amount of time. And then we were broke <laughs> and um, went through a summer. We were, I think in 1994, that summer, I think we billed like $57 for a whole summer. And Joyce was working full time and she kept saying to me, you got to go get a job. You got to go get a job. And I had a great resume, but, you know, being blind, people were offering me entry-level minimum wage jobs, like answering phones and stuff like that. And I just knew this BrailleWorks thing would work. And I would be up at 3 o'clock in the morning and on my knees at the desk in the dining room with the head on the, t- on the desk and just like, Lord, Lord. And, you know, I wasn't into God speaking to me at that time, but... Clearly, the Lord told me to get my uh, business plan out of the bottom drawer of the desk, which I had written in Braille. And I sat at the desk, and I'm reading it. And one of the things it said is to uh, sell to restaurants, which I had stopped doing because people told me, oh, go for government accounts. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I started, when Joyce came down to go to work that morning, I said, honey, things are going to turn around. And they did. Uh, we literally that week picked up two major restaurant chains. Uh, within about a month, we picked up a third one. We were using credit cards to buy Braille paper because mm-hmm. we couldn't afford it. It just was amazing. In 1997, three years into the business, we almost went bankrupt. Um, and I sat with an, uh, an accountant and he's going over all the rules of bankruptcy. And I said, you know, you've got two problems sitting in front of you. He said, what's that? And I said, one, I'm a believer, and I don't believe in filing bankruptcy unless I absolutely have to. And two, I'm Italian, and I'm extremely stubborn. <laughs> so I said, you need to come up with two plans. One, we don't go bankrupt, and two, we do. So he said, all right. And he put us on a budget. And I'm, I mean... That Christmas, I wanted to buy Joyce a ring. I think it was a $200 ring. But I wasn't allowed to buy anything unless I called the accountant. And I called him and I said, hey, Walter, I want to da-da-da. And I had the money. And he said, no. Uh, (laughs) You're fired. I thought, what do you mean no? It's my money. He said, don't do it. So I didn't. And, um, you know... So we started the business. So what is BrailleWorks? It's we do Braille, we do large print, we do audio, and we do um, accessible documents so that people can read PDFs online. Um, it started in our basement in Cleveland, Ohio, with Joyce and me. We moved down here in '96. Um, yeah, '96. Worked out of our garage. And still just the two of us. And then we hired somebody in 98 or 9, something like that. Yeah. And it just started to grow, and God started to really bless it. We got out of debt in 2001 completely, (laughs) have stayed out of debt, and uh, built a, a house with a building behind that house. That's where I met you, Rich. Yeah. And then we started to get more. Yeah, that house was like. 3,000 square foot, and the and how big was the office? 1,800. Eight, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to have Bible study. We had church at my house. We had 60 <laughs> people or so 
at my house on Sunday yep. nights with the father's house that Richard, uh, another gentleman, and, and, and I started. <laughs> Those are some of my favorite memories of church growing up. I'm sure it was. <laughs> you kids. <laughs> Anyhow, um, we outgrew that, and then we went to, um, 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 a, we built a, a commercial building, and then I built a house so I could walk to and from work myself. And Richard made a big deal about me walking from my house to work. Right now, it's two tenths of a mile. Um, and but but along the way, you've encountered some interesting wildlife, haven't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> what was the most interesting? Well, the, there's gators in our pond, <laughs> and so we have had the gators in our yard. So I did put up a fence, so at least. They would stop coming in the yard. I think the most frightening one was um, my daughter and son-in-law went out of town and we were watching their youngest son and their dog. And this is when there was still just like three houses in the whole neighborhood. And we were outside with the dog about 9.30 at night. They're little, they have a little shih tzu. And uh, we hear this whoo-hoo sound and my grandson says, Grandpa, what is that? I said, I think it's an owl. Well, then it gets really close, like right across the street from us. He goes, oh, my gosh. I said, I think that's a coyote. Yeah. And my grandson picks up the little dog and runs in the house. And I'm walking up the driveway thinking, thanks. <laughs> Leave Grandpa outside here. <laughs> you go in the house with the dog. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But it's... Um, I thought it was the hissing with the alligator that you that, like, you I made you drive same. around the neighborhood. Yes, there was a, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I was walking around the neighborhood and there was something hissed. And so it really scared me, but I didn't know whether to turn around and go back home or keep walking because I was partway, halfway around. Yeah. We were going someplace that morning and you picked me up and I made you drive around the neighborhood. <laughs> you didn't see anything, though. Yeah. But, you know, prior to that... This little walk, two-tenths of a mile, is nothing. I used to work in downtown Cleveland and took buses, and um, I was an instructor for the IRS, and so I would fly to different cities um, on my own. And so, you know, it's a lot. What I do now is nothing compared to what I did. So we've got this business. God has blessed it. We've got about 200 employees. Uh, My biggest prayer for BrailleWorks now is that when I stop going in on a regular basis, that the people that are taking charge will be respectful of the Lord and keep the Holy Spirit um, in their central focus. Yeah, so how do you do that in your business? Tell me some of the things that you're doing to put Christ in the center of your business. Several things we do when we're on an initial call with a client, a new client, at some point, <clears throat> I will bring up that we're a Christ-centered business, um, and I'll say something to the effect of um, whether or not you s- subscribe to those beliefs or not, I just want you to know that's the kind of quality of work you get. Another thing we do is our, we have a leadership meeting on Monday mornings, and at that time, we it's specifically for prayer. And it's to pray for each other and pray for the staff, and this is the leadership, almost all of them come. 
I don't know that they're all believers or not, but they do come and they will participate in prayer. That's awesome. Then on Thursdays at 9.30, we have our prayer time for the employees. And, um, you know, it's, it's not mandatory, of course. Some can call in on the conference line if they don't want to come to the building or if they're in Sarasota where we have an office. <clears throat> We've even had some people who used to be employees that retired who will call in once in a while just to be part of the prayer time on Thursdays. That's cool. So that's another thing we do. So we just keep it there, and um, you know that that's a time. And each each one of those prayer times, I ask all the people that are believers in that prayer group to be praying through the buildings to pray for the Holy Spirit to infill the people there. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a constant uh, or a, a weekly by you know reminder to the staff and the. To, to keep the Lord the center of our of our business. That's it's, awesome. It's very important to me. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And almost your entire influence in the company is deeply spiritual. I'm sure. Correct. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's based on a lot of prayer. I mean, yeah. of course, we make a lot of other decisions, and you know, I wish I could say. Now, I, I was actually thinking about some of the stuff that you do over the intercom periodically. Oh. <laughs> okay, what? What Richard's you have a sense of humor. <laughs> what Richard's referring to is I sometimes think that people need cheering up, so <laughs> I'll I'll come on and make kinds of ridiculous comments. Or people have over the years have bought me these electronic noise making devices, like you know, women screaming or babies crying or uh, cartoon sounds. Fart machines. The fart machines, yes, we've had those too. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, every so often I'll just open the intercom and... <laughs> <laughs> they know who it is. <laughs> My favorite one is this. It's a sound of a... a, 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 a like running feet, like in a cartoon. <laughs> you know, that type of sound. And then there's a, a voice that goes... And so I'll, I'll say, would so-and-so please come to my office? And I play those funny <laughs> <laughs> And then I play that voice, and then I hang up. So, so you know, but people, you know, I, <laughs> I pick up a lot of comments. Oh, and then I, this, this one was really funny, I, I thought. You know, with people being so sensitive these days and everything is offensive, so I brought a harmonica to work, and I got in the intercom, and I said, well, I, I wrote a song, and I tried to make it the most inoffensive song I could possibly make it, so here it goes. I said, I've rehearsed this, and this is the radio version, not the long version. I blew out and sucked in on the harmonica and hung up. <laughs> so I had people come to my office and said, I'm offended. You didn't have any trumpets in there. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like a lot of fun. So how many employees do you guys have now? We have about 200 employees. We have anything from programmers to people who, um, uh, for shipping, you know, we have shipping, they call it the the fulfillment department. They they do the shipping. Uh, We have Braille embossers. People know how to operate those. And... 
um, we have uh, uh, um, a lot of large print that we do, so a lot of people operating that equipment. We have people at desks inputting the documents that come in. So it's uh, it's grown from a little basement garage business to a really blessed. God is just blessed. It, it. I tell people all the time that my wife and I are too stupid to run something like this. That the Lord has <laughs> to have done it. Well, I will say I, I don't, I've never told you this story, but uh, I went to uh, Chick Fil A, um, and there was a little blind boy who was playing in the play center, and he's walking around asking his mom everything he's touching, and you know he's like six or seven years old. Um, and I just kind of started having a conversation with her, and she said that she she brought up Braille Works, and that she tells her kid about wow. that oh, wow. company and about that their owner is blind and that there's nothing he can't do. And I don't know if she even knew your name. I, I mentioned your name, and she was like, that's the owner, right? I know that he's blind. That's all that she knew of it. But, like, you're having an impact, you know, obviously with the 200 employees, obviously what you've done, you know, around there. But that was something that impacted me that, but just some random person I met at Chick-fil-A knew who you were and told their kid that he can do anything. Who did that for you? Who, like, inspired you or what was it that caused you to, to just push beyond other people's, you know, limitations and... I was very blessed you know back I was born in 1947 and what happened was back then they were dosing or putting us in incubators um, thinking that they would help children I wasn't premature or anything like that but some children were put in incubators and they didn't realize the oxygen was burning out the retinas that's why now when the child you know Mm -hmm. children are in incubators they cover the eyes um Anyhow, so there's quite a few of us in my age bracket within about a wow. five-year window that are blind because of that. Wow. Um, so anyhow, nobody knew how to handle things back then, you know, in the 40s and early 50s. Uh, it wasn't like today. <clears throat> and uh, there was, I was born in Ohio, and there was a school for the blind <clears throat> in Ohio. And so part of my family thought I should go to that school which I'm so, so thankful I didn't. Mm. And um, my mom's side of the family didn't think that should be the case, and they found a school that had what was called a resource room. And in this resource room, that's where they taught us to read Braille, uh, how to use Braille writers, how to type, to, you know, so we could use a regular typewriter and so on and so forth. <coughs> so, of course, there was that. But then um, I just, my parents didn't treat me like I was blind. I mean, it, mm. I'll, I'll tell a story in a minute about that. But I just lived a normal life. And I have a cousin who I really look up to, my, probably my mentor in life. He's seven or eight years older than me. He's really old now. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we would do a lot of stuff together. We'd ride double on his bicycle and... Um, we would play wiffle ball in the backyard where we had mats set up in the, on the grass and that were our bases. And um, I would pitch to him and he'd hit the ball. And because um, it's a wiffle ball, you could hear the air whoosh, through, the, through the ball. And, you know, of course, I never <laughs> caught the ball on a fly, but I'd catch the ball and tag him. And 
I'm sure he allowed me to <laughs> catch him. But, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, it's it you know it's just that kind of stuff. And then he um, he currently is an employee at JPL Labs in um, in Palo Alto, California. So he's been involved with a lot of these space shots to the moon, and uh, actually was part of the project on the walking on the moon. He was part of the communications thing of that. But back up to when he was a teenager, he and I would go around and pick up broken radios out of the garbage back when they were tube-type radios. <clears throat> and we'd go over his house down the basement, and he would, would tinker with this stuff and got me interested in tinkering with this stuff. And uh, so, you know, we just did stuff. He just, he's my buddy. Normal he, kid yeah, stuff. Normal yeah, normal kid stuff. Um, then my childhood was, except for him, was pretty lonely because the school I went to was in down in, in, um, Cleveland and I lived in a suburb of Cleveland. So I didn't have any local friends. And even though there was a lot of kids in my neighborhood, um, you know, I'm the blind kid. They didn't want to play with me or anything like that. So it was, the summers were boring, mm. um, but, you know, it, it really didn't matter because I had my cousin. And then I had other cousins, and we would get together and just spend time, and they treated me very normal, uh, like I wasn't blind. So I guess I, I didn't think of myself as disabled in any way or form. Right. I just had a, I don't know. I, normal childhood. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, you know. I mean, what's normal? Yeah. I was an only child. The worst thing about that is when something broke in the house, I really couldn't blame anybody. <laughs> um, so then when I went to middle school, or what we call junior high, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, um, I joined the band there, uh, played clarinet. In 10th grade... Um, I, so how would you read music? I would actually... There is Braille music, so when I I did piano from first grade to sixth grade, and we had these uh, classical piece music. So you'd put your hand up on the on the music stand and read a, a phrase and then play it, and you'd mem we memorized everything. Wow, you know, we memorized all the music. In band, uh, somebody would record my part, you know, on reel to reel tape. Some of you won't even know what that means. Uh, That's why I would be some of those people who don't, who don't know. <laughs> but um, I would, you know, practice it until I learned it. But the interesting thing is when I got into high school. Um, so when I was four years old, there was a boy in the hospital. His name is Bill, and he had this. He was were a few months apart in age. And we met in the hospital. We both have the same eye condition, and um, both of us totally blind. And so we were friends, and we went to the same grade school together. And we stayed friends over the years. In fact, uh, I just talked to him Saturday. We're still friends. But he calls me up one day. He went to a school in a different suburb from mine, and he calls me and says, Hey, Louie. Well, they let you in the marching band. I said, no, I asked them, and they said, no. And he said, yeah, me neither. They're not letting me in. He said, go tell your band director that 
my band director is letting me in and I'm going to go tell my band director. <laughs> so we did. And we both got in the marching band because <laughs> they were rival schools. Oh one wasn't going to let the other one get away with oh it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we were rival schools. So there were two games every year. We'd be on the field. Our bands would be out on the field. And neither one of us wanted to draw attention to ourselves. So the band directors every year would, come on, guys, you know, please, please. So our senior year, last game, we said, okay. So they had us march out in the middle of the field and Bill from his school and me from my school. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we're out there laughing because we both told our band directors this never made to anybody else, but you guys weren't going to let us do this, and now you want to show us off. <laughs> so, you know, I just didn't think of myself as being blind, and I thought, I tell people all the time I could sit around and watch cable TV and drink beer, or I could go out and live life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, just decided that, you know, I, the stuff to do, I was going to do it. First house I bought... Um, my first wife was also blind, and we raised three children. Wow! Yeah, that was that was different. Yeah, but you know what? They're all good kids, and it uh, it worked out. We just had to figure out things. But the first time something went wrong in my house, I had to call a plumber in. And it cost me sixty dollars. Well, I didn't make a lot of money. And then the next time something broke in my house, I called a plumber. Another sixty dollars. Uh, we can't have this. So I just start learning how to fix stuff in the house, and you'd Google it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before Google, long before Google. But how do we do anything? Back what then? there was was a hardware store within walking distance, and this old guy in the store, I'd go in there with a part in my hand, and he would tell me what I needed and how to fix it, and it, you know, I go. His home name and, wasn't Google, though. No, it, wasn't. <laughs> it was uh, Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Uh, go home and it wouldn't work and I'd go back down to the store and talk to him some more and you know I always wished that he would just come over and fix it for me but he never did he always would tell me what to do and I'd go back and figure it out and so wow that's how I just started to learn to do stuff as far as home repair and um just did that kind of thing so I I you know when I I said I would come back to something uh one of one of my summers between when I was in college, when I was summer break, I worked at a camp for the blind as a counselor in um, Cleveland. <clears throat> and it was broken into different age groups, so 8 to 10 and so on and so forth. But then we had the teenage group, so 16 to 18, it might have been, or 15. I, I don't remember the break. But there was a, a boy there that was really... You know, really limited to what he could do, and so one day we were talking, and I was we were at the playground area, and I was sitting on a swing. I was swinging on the swing, not not very high, but just a little bit. And he said to me, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm swinging." He said, "What's that?" I said, "What do you mean, what's that?" And I said, "Get over here." And so I, this guy's big. I'm I'm about five seven. He had to be over six foot, so I get his sitting on the swing and I'm pushing him and I taught him how to swing now to a blind person swinging is a very very awesome experience because you've got speed you've got depth you've got height and it's free 
it's very freeing the swing when you because you, you, mm. can, you can just do it you know yeah. it's, it's you don't well it, I don't want to say his name he learned to swing and uh, on Sundays it was parent visitation day well the teenagers <laughs> none of the parents came to visit the kids on t- so but his parents came and they said where is so and so and I said oh he's at the playground and his mother saw him swinging and started screaming his name. To get off that swing. You're going to fall. You're going to get hurt. I'm 19 years old, and I've said to her, you know, you're ruining this kid. Mm. He can't do anything. He, he barely gets around. He's stunted in the way he acts. Mm. And you <laughs> making him stop swinging is one of the worst things you can do. 19 years old. They go to the camp director, the parents, and next thing you know, I'm in the camp director's office, and I'm having it explained to me that 19-year-olds don't talk to kids' parents that way. But I use him as an example because the parents really did make him blind. Mm. Mm. And I met a lot of kids from little children, 8 years to 10 years, into their teenage years where parents actually treated them like blind children and Mm. they were blind children Mm. there was a lot of us that their parents didn't treat us that way and technically we were blind children but we weren't blind children in our heads yeah yeah Yeah. that wasn't your identity that's so powerful because I, i mean like our culture now is everyone is a victim and because of what happened to you you can't and and there's you know everything stacked against you that's like such a big thing now. It's almost like the media is, and social media is pretty much like how to find that you've been a victim, you know, in different ways. And it really does stun people and it really does keep people. Like they believe they're powerless to go and change and do and accomplish everything that they can. So that's such a powerful message. I used to give, uh, I, I did a lot of public speaking in Ohio and uh, <clears throat> I even got paid. but but the funny thing was I was asked to speak at this one convention for people with disabilities and I was the uh, keynote speaker and so I gave the opening talk and so on and so forth and and I thought a pretty good talk everybody else that spoke not one person talked about how they could get a job and how they could take get more out of their SSDI for their social security or how they can get more out of state aid and how they can all the stuff, how they could take and get. And so I had to close this thing. And I had my notes with me, and I got up there and I said, you know, I'm never going to be invited back to this for what I'm going to say now. (laughs) I said, but I'm going to tell you all something in this room because most of us in here have disabilities. I said, not one person talked to you about how to go out and get a job. Not one person talked to you about the fact that we are the ones that have the disability, not the rest of the world. It's up to us to make them comfortable with us, not up to them to make it easier for us. Yes, we need breaks. Yes, we need people to believe in us. And I said, but we don't, we don't need, you know, it's, it's, it's our issue that we're blind or we're, in a, we're, we're crippled or whatever it might be. And I said, we need to accept that. And I was never invited back to speak there. But <laughs> yeah. It was a message that and people, to be people went crazy and applauded <laughs> because it was true. It was yeah. very true. And that's how I look at it. You know, it's my job to make people comfortable around me. Mm. 
That's such a powerful thing. And you do that. You, you really do that do. so well. Like, like, because we've had so many mutual friends, everybody just like admires you. Like you would say, lose my friend who happens to be blind. Like, I don't think anybody that I know sees you as a blind person. You know what I mean? Which like, it's hard to even explain that because it, it sounds like you're saying the same thing, but it's, but it's not. It's radically different. You don't operate from the vantage point of your limitations. You are an overcomer. It's what we call the people that we're ministering to. And a lot of them, just to show up here, the people that have been trafficked and stuff like that, they've overcome so much. And some of them are unbelievably remarkable. And and they know what they've been through, and the deck stacked against them is, is unbelievable. But, but you know, it, it is like I, we don't want them thinking of themselves as victims, mm-hmm. yeah, or even survivors. They are overcomers, and we're going to help them become more overcomers. So, your life inspires that in other people. I I I do remember one day in my time with the Lord, I read this verse. I think it was in Proverbs. I'm not sure. Maybe no. It may have been the law. I don't remember. I need to look this up again. I looked it up not too I'll long Google ago. I'll Google it while you tell the story. And uh, but it was um, it was um, if you pull a practical joke on a blind person, blind person, you will be cursed. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no! I called you that morning. I said, brother, I gotta repent. I want to break curses off my life. <laughs> I because over the years I, I had fun doing it. Now I don't do it. Like, and I know it was with you. It was like I felt so safe doing it. But I, I do stuff like move the salt, you know, replace it with the pepper. Because you, you like walk up and you memorize the table. And I'd watch you do that, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna mess with him. And I'd switch things around. And then I was like, I noticed, like, how do you know where the steps are? Because we'd be walking along, and it's like. And, and you said, because you like, well, I, I your said, arm goes up. And I was like, oh. so then one day I'm walking along. That was the I lift his mistake. arm and he's like, his legs popping up in the air. And- <laughs> that, that was a mistake. I, I should have never, knowing you, I should have never, ever, ever. Told you notice that. I don't do that stuff anymore. <laughs> I know, but that scripture he's talking about, I think it's in Leviticus or something. Yeah, Leviticus 19.14. Yeah, yeah. Don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. And I was like, wow. I gotta repent <laughs> and, the, and then the, the funnest one was one night we were out on a date i think and we're in walgreens and joyce was in there oh and i was like i was like where's lou and she goes he's out in the car i was like oh can i please have the keys <laughs> and she, i don't even think i had to explain myself she was like she knows me too so i take the keys i come out there and i sit in the car and you're like hey joyce and you put your hand over on my lap and you're like this is not <laughs> joyce's lap and i'm not saying anything because i was like as soon as i talk he's gonna know who it is oh, and you're like goodness. uh uh, uh. <laughs> i don't remember if i started the car or no, not no. then you just said hi lou <laughs> I, I was there yeah, i remember that and immediately what, what i thought was crazy is like i saw the fear on his face as soon as he put his hand on your thigh and realized it wasn't joyce but the second You've not in imitating someone else's voice. Oh, he yeah. immediately said, "Richard, oh my goodness!" Like he knew, without any clues, that it was you just from that. That was impressive. I yeah, it's all it is pretty remarkable because, like a- Andrew, there's there's some jerks in the world. <laughs> <laughs> some God has redeemed. They've repented and 
gotten right with God and he's oh, forgiven. My <laughs> oh my goodness. It is amazing though, like somebody walks into the room and you're like, Hey, and you you know people by when they haven't said a word. You like memorize the sound of their walks, the way they enter a room, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, how in the world does he know who's here? You know, it's, it's you know, there's so many cues that I can't even explain some of them. Um, it's just you're right. It could be the way they walk. But a lot of times it's because I heard them talking prior to coming into the room. And yeah. So I know they came in. There's, yeah. There's a, a story that there's this, I, this one place I worked. This guy was a martial arts guy, and he's really good. And he he came up to me one day. Well, he would he pulled a lot of stunts on me, a lot. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. <laughs> this, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, this one was whenever I would do an interview, I was hiring a sales team, and. Um, I would meet the people at the lobby of the building, and, it was a, and, I, and I would tell them ahead of time, look, I'm blind, because I didn't want to be going through this interview and having somebody sit there, can he see me? Can he, I think he's blind. Maybe he can. I don't know. Maybe he's pulling a joke on me. <laughs> anyway, so I would tell them before we went back to my office that, you know, I, I'm blind, so you know, I just want you to know that. No big deal, but I want you to know it. And I'd walk in my office, and I'd swing my hand to the right and say, have a seat, because there was a chair in front of my <laughs> desk. I'd walk around my desk and pull my chair up and sit down. <laughs> Except this one day, I walk in the office, and I point to the right, have a seat. I walk around my desk, <laughs> and I put my hand out, and there's no chair there, and now there's no desk there. <laughs> and I said to this person, this lady, I said, um, you know, apparently, there's, she said, this room is empty. <laughs> you know, while I was at the lobby, these guys emptied out my office. <laughs> there was nothing in there. <laughs> so, so, so I take this lady to the conference room, and now the whole office is laughing. And, and I can't even conduct an interview. I, I can't. I was laughing so hard. It was hilarious. She gets up and walks this. I don't want to work here. And she's still <laughs> I would have jumped oh, at that job. My gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's oh, so. That is too what, funny. what I wanted to tell you though is the little cues that you get. So, he had a, a, a piece of curved wood. It was a, actually a broken off hook of a, a coat rack, but it was wooden. And he snuck up on me at my desk, and he laid this thing on my shoulder. And I'm telling you, this guy was very, very good. He walked. I did not hear him walk up. I didn't feel his presence. I didn't even feel him lay that thing on my shoulder. That's how good he was. What gave him away is he smiled, and the spit crackled on the corner of his mouth, and that's what I heard. And I said, Denny, what are you doing? <laughs> To this day, I've never, I've never told him. How I knew it. <laughs> that is crazy. But it was a little crack of spit when he went to smile. Oh, oh my goodness. goodness! Oh my goodness! That is amazing! Wow! So, but you know, I, I want to get to something else that, yeah. that is more important than all that stuff. Um, I was 29 years old when I when I I love got you. saved and um, conversion story. A, a lot of people witnessed to me. I didn't understand it. Um, I had a girl break up with me that I thought I would marry because we were unequally yoked and 
I, I didn't get any of that stuff. It's like, I'll change religions. I could care less about religion. You know, I didn't matter. Um, and then I'm not going to go in this whole description, but uh, we were on a business trip, and I was smo a smoker at the time, and this guy had a new car, and every time we would stop at a rest area, I would smoke a cigarette. And he said, hey, you could smoke in my car. I said, no, I'm not going to smoke in your car. And so... Uh, Anyhow, we are driving. He said, you know, I quit smoking. He said, do you want to know how I quit smoking? And honestly, I didn't. Because <laughs> I had no intention of quitting smoking. And uh, he starts telling me that the Lord told him to quit smoking. And at the time, Bill Cosby was popular. And he had the, that thing about Noah building the ark. Noah! I want you to, this is the Lord. And so when Norm told me that the Lord told him to quit smoking, I went, Norm, quit smoking. You know, and so he's not laughing. He's going on and talking about how the Lord walked with him through the process of quitting smoking. Well, it stopped being funny to me, and it started to get, like I started asking questions, a lot of questions, which... Uh, if you're not a believer, don't ask a believer questions because you're going to end up getting saved. But <laughs> anyway, um, really do ask questions. But he said, come on down to my room. You know, I got my Bible there. So I did, and he's reading scripture to me. And I'm, I said to him, you know, you're carrying a Bible in your suitcase, and I have a flask in my suitcase. And I said, what a difference. Anyhow, fast forward. We went to a church service on that Sunday, and um, you've heard of people that said that they were hanging onto the chair because they wanted to go forward, and that was the case. I really, literally, honestly, was holding the chair, and so we were getting ready to go back to Cleveland, and uh, he came to my room and started to witness to me, and I literally pushed him back on the bed and said, you know, I'm not doing this, and he said to me, I, I, you know, I'd rather you, whatever, I forgot the exact words, but I'd rather see you in heaven than um, have you, I'd rather have you mad at me on earth or something, I, I can't remember the words, I'd rather have you mad at me here in, in the present life than not see you in heaven or mm -hmm. something of that nature. And then he told me how Christ died and would have died if I was the only one that accepted him. And I said to him at that time, I said, you know, that was stupid. And I still think it was stupid. But that's Christ. That's our Jesus. Mm, yeah. And so, uh, you know, my life really changed a lot, a, a whole lot. And then I started to go to healing services to get my sight. And and I'm a very strong believer in healing. Let me preface this. Can, can I go back for a second? I yeah. love... The, like when you finally accepted Christ, his evangelism method with you. Oh, when he when he pushed me back, or I and held you on the bed, or something like that. Everyone gonna yeah, let yeah. you up unless you. Yeah, yeah. So, so something to that effect. He pushed me. I didn't, it went, but that was nineteen seventy six. He pushed me back on. That's right. He pushed me back on the bed and held me there and said, "You're gonna accept Christ as your savior." And I was, it wasn't. You know, anyway. Not the best evangelism strategy, but it worked. But it worked. <laughs> so I, I went to a healing service, uh, and I had never read the Bible, never. And I was 29 years old, and um, boy, 
my silly thoughts. Um, I had just read about Paul's affliction, whatever that is, or was, I should say. And I, I guess a lot of people think it was sight because mm-hmm. he had a scribe. Whether that's true or not, I, mm-hmm. I'm not convinced of that one way or the other. But, um, and I, I didn't have, I didn't understand the <laughs> Lord speaking to people. I, this, I was too new. I was very, very new. And this man had me by the shoulders at this healing service, and he was shaking me and praying. And he stopped at one point and said, I'm going to pray for you until you get your sight. And while he was doing that, I, I understand, years later I understood, but I literally heard from the Lord saying, I'm go- I want you to stay the way you are and, and worship me and honor me as a blind person. I have plenty of sighted people that do that. And I didn't like that, but man, I, I this guy's literally shaking my shoulders and praying, and I can't get that those words out of my head, and I, I just couldn't. And I finally told him to stop, and I lifted his hands up. I said, you know, I heard from the Lord, I think. And I told him what the Lord said, and he said, that's impossible. And since then, I've had numerous people pray for me to get my sight, because I do believe in healing. And um, it just, it just, didn't happen and it just doesn't matter to mm-hmm. me i mean mm-hmm. I, I still love the lord you know he's he's my god he's my savior he's my my freedom um it's what what's making me stumble around here a little bit is richard asked me years ago um when's the first time you heard the lord speak to you and um you know, I remember it clearly. It was when I made my first communion as a Catholic. Um, I had gone to the, the the communion rail to get the the host that the, they deliver at the Catholic Church, <clears throat> and I went back to my seat. And I think we were kneeling at that point on the kneeler. I think we were, but I heard I'm, I heard as clear as day. My name called Lewis. Clearly, I mean, to a point where I said, "What?" <laughs> and later on, my parents said to me, "Why did you do that?" I said, "Somebody called my name." And they're over there. Nobody <coughs> called your name, Lou. No, nobody called your name. I said, "Yeah, they did." Somebody clearly said Lewis. And when re- I had forgotten about that until you mm-hmm. asked me that day about. When's the first time? And that truly was the first time I heard from the Lord. Mm. Didn't understand it, of course, but, you know. God uh, speaks to Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? I, that, that thing that blew me away when creating the God Speaks Bible was was uncovering that. Because in my mind, God, of course, he spoke to Noah, you know, great man of faith, mm-hmm. and Abraham and, and the apostles. I, I was pretty sure God wouldn't, you know be bothered to speak to me because i'm just not one of those you know super people but man in the god speaks bible when you look at who he spoke to he spoke to almost every character in the bible whether they were pagan whether they were male female rich poor slave free kings he would give them dreams angels visit all kind of people and i was like so god could even speak to me and even a young Catholic kid, and uh, he does. It's, it's a remarkable. 
Yeah, that was a... <clears throat> I'm so thankful you asked that question years ago because I never... I hadn't thought about it. <clears throat> I it just didn't think about it. But I look back on my life, and there has been... There have been many, many times when I've heard from the Lord and didn't know it. And for those of you listening, you know, don't discount those things. Mm-hmm. When you when you hear a message or you hear a a, a word or, or somebody calls out your name and nobody's around you, you know, it, pay attention. Mm-hmm. That's something I've learned and I've, I really do um, believe that. I have a situation going on in my family and um, one morning when I was getting out of the shower, the Lord told me to leave it alone. I'm going to take care of this. Just leave it alone. And I know I heard from him. And uh, two days later, he hadn't moved fast enough, so I decided to step in. And I made things a lot worse. <laughs> so it, it's not only do you hear from the Lord, maybe it's a good idea to pay attention to what he tells you. Mm-hmm. Well, I know. Uh, um, I just think about so many of the things that God has done over the years, like that we were kind of connected to. I remember praying, you praying for one of your kids and... Uh, and taking authority, learning to take authority, and then God radically impacted their life, yeah. and uh, and uh, you know, like some of, the, some of the transformations and and some of their their lives. That's been pretty remarkable. We've walked together uh, over the years in a lot of things that um, got to witness God's power and His presence. And you, you and said all. something to me one time. <laughs> Um, when I turned 13, you guys had some kind of... Barbaraka, son of the covenant. Yeah, something. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I don't remember. <laughs> I remember two things about that. No, I think I maybe remember three. I got a sword. All of my friends tried wrestling Steve Batson and we all lost. <laughs> and Lou said something to me that changed my life. Wow. Do you remember what you told me? Do I, do I want to remember what I told you? No, it, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. You told me a story about you in school, and then you told me that it, you you gave me one phrase or two two words or let me think four words. Do you remember? No, I, I'm sorry. You told a story about in school that there was a really pretty girl who was your friend, uh, maybe in high school, and that she you, you you like thought you guys were just kind of friends, but she was like sad that you didn't ask her to some dance or something like that. Am I remembering it kind of right? Yes, yes, yes. And you said, Sir Andrew, the only advice I have for you is marry the pretty girl. (laughs) (laughs) I remembered that. And when I met my wife, Sasha, I remembered hearing you say that when I saw her. And I was like, she's the prettiest girl I've ever seen. And I'm going to, I'm going to take Lou's advice. I'm going to marry the pretty girl. Yeah. So, you know, that that story actually, um, this girl, this girl was a, a very attractive and, popular very popular girl in school and she sat next to me and she would i i didn't realize i was too stupid to realize but she would drop her book or something and i would pick it up for her she would drop a pencil and i'd pick it up for her fast forward now we're in our 40s and she's having a garage sale and i don't know it's her but we go there my wife and i go there and um it's it's this young lady, this lady, and I said, oh, it's so good to see you. And she says, 
I wanted to go out with you so bad. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> she said, I didn't get to go to most of the dances because all the guys thought I was so cute and so popular that nobody asked me out. And she said, mm, I dropped pencils, wow. I dropped books, <laughs> and I'm standing there like, what an idiot. <laughs> 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 and that's probably why I told you that because, you know, it, I told my wife when I got in the car, I said, you know what? I, that lesson is ask, always ask. Yep. What can go wrong? The worst that someone's going to tell you is no. <clears throat> or drop dead. <laughs> <laughs> Slap you in the face. <laughs> or drop dead. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thankfully, my wife didn't say drop dead. And, uh... I, I remember the, the, like, I remember the first time I saw her, I was teaching, and she came and sat next to you. I was like, Wow, that is a very attractive girl sitting next to Andrew. Yeah. And uh, two weeks in a row, she came and sat oh. next to you. And then it was so funny to hear you tell oh, what you were experiencing. This is pretty funny, Lou. So <clears throat> I guess Sasha had met Philip before she had met me and didn't realize we were different people. <laughs> so the first Sunday, I go to this church that I've ever – I've never been to this church on a Sunday. I had gone to one of their college groups where I saw Sasha, never spoke to her. So I go and I sit down, and she comes and sits down next to me. And I'm like – did you mean to sit next to me? Like, there's a ton of people here. Like, do you know me? Like, why are you sitting next to me? And then I'm like, I was like, I was literally like, I must be way more attractive than I realized that if she's just going to walk across the whole room and come sit next to me. And uh, I literally couldn't say a word, couldn't even form words. Like, I couldn't even say anything to her. And this is a guy that would like go to the beach with like five really pretty girls and play volleyball and, and like hadn't dated. I, I don't think I'd ever really been intimidated. Before I don't re- ever remember Andrew being intimidated yeah. too many times in my life, but yeah, so he's so I, I was intimidated, but I was like, no, Lou said, marry the pretty girl, so I gotta do it. I gotta do it. <laughs> so she sat next to you thinking you were Philip. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Philip. Yeah. She was like, Philip was the nicest boy I'd ever met. He gave me a hug and was just so genuine. And so I was like, I feel safe around him, so I'll go <laughs> sit next to him. And uh, so I have Philip to thank for, for my wife. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, man, I do. Okay, I have to tell this story. Philip's not here. But Philip gave us a homework assignment. Do you remember? And as we had a podcast, podcast, we had podcast with Philip uh, like three weeks ago, I think. And he was like, hey, this is how I believe the church should live. This is how Christians should live. Read Deuteronomy 25. Right. Do you remember that? He told us to read it, right? I honestly don't. You don't. Well, we were supposed to have a podcast with him, which we still haven't reshot. And I'm like, okay, I have to read it before the podcast. So the day before we were supposed to shoot the podcast with him, I decided to read it. The entire chapter is the chapter all about if you if you die, you have to marry your if your brother dies, you have to marry his wife and put a baby in her. And I was like, <laughs> what on earth are you talking about, <laughs> Philip? Like, I am so confused. And so I text him. I'm like, are you trying to like? What are you trying to communicate? What are you trying to say? And he's like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "You trying to get with my wife?" And he's like, "What on earth?" And so he he goes and reads it. And he's like, "Bro, it's Deuteronomy 15." So anyone who listened, <laughs> anyone who listened to our podcast, oh Philip, it is going to be a joke for eternity that this is how he said. This is how I think we should all live. This is the way the church should live, and we should all live. He was saying, "Read Deuteronomy 15, not 25." Oh. Uh, you know, I have a similar story to this. <laughs> a friend of mine was going through a lawsuit, and 
<laughs> I, was, I was reading the Word one morning, and I came across a scripture that I thought would really bless him, so I... I called him and I left a voicemail for him, but I quoted the wrong scripture. Oh, no. The wrong scripture, and it was really horrible for what he was going through. <laughs> so he calls me back and he said, "Why did you want me to read that scripture?" I said, "I thought it would bless you." Bless me? Are you kidding me? And I said, "What did you read?" And he told me, and I said, "Oh, that's." That's the right scripture. I said, try this one. <laughs> I can't believe, and for for months, this guy would beat me up about that. Oh, <laughs> you you got to make sure you're given the right scripture. Oh, yeah. Tim that Hawk. is pretty funny. You probably read that. I'm sure you thought, oh. You're, you're I Hawk. thought he was making some kind of like, he's trying to make some kind of statement. And then it got to the part where I was like, no, this has got to be a problem. Yeah, this yeah, has yeah. got to be a mistake. Oh, you should have said, Philip, you're not allowed to come around my wife ever again. It, it is like <laughs> autocorrect. You can like I have caught a couple of stuff before I, I sent it. Oh. Fortunately, I don't, I'm not aware of any of really bad ones. But I'm like, how in the world did it do that? Is this Siri or you know voice to text like, or not even voice, but it's autocorrect playing with me because I would never like. Oh, that can be funny. That stuff. Yeah, Tim Hawkins talks about that too. He was at a event and <laughs> signing autographs and he's like you know you should put something like scripture you know it's it's a church so he's just writing he makes up a reference and he's writing it down and then he goes back to his hotel room and looks it up and it's i have a uh painful lo and behold i have a painful disease in my loins he's like like, i signed that to 200 autographs at this event you're all my disciples go and spread the news of my loin disease to the world he's hilarious oh man it does help to think before uh, (laughs) oh man all right lou if you could leave one if you could teach one thing to every believer like, we have a lot of believers who listen. If there's one thing that you said, hey, I wish every believer knew this, did this, applied this, what would it be? You're the keynote speaker right now. I kind of uh, wish you'd ask me this question before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I want to go to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Yeah. Um, that's... You know, be be forgiving. Mm. Um, for, forgive people. Don't hold grudges. Um, I, I'm 76 years old, and I realize that you know there's my my there's more time behind me than I probably have ahead of me, and I wish I had done some things different. But I now have the chance to do those things different if those opportunities appear again. So if they do, I hope and pray that I will do those things different. But, you know, keep Christ the center of your life. That's that's the greatest commandment. Love the, the Lord those your God. Are, those are words. Those are words. But, boy, they're really, it's, I, I, for one, can tell you it's very hard to do. But it's worthy. Mm-hmm. You never regret looking back in your life when you say, I love the Lord, or why I forgave people. No, I don't think anyone's ever looked back and said, I regret forgiving that person, or I regret putting <coughs> Jesus as the center. I do regret not forgiving people. Oh, 100%. They, yeah, yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah, when you, when, you, when you have experienced the freedom of letting go of resentment and bitterness, yeah. and, and it being replaced with like the peace and the joy of the Lord, and then you're faced with that option, do I hold on to 
bitterness or do I forgive? It, it, the more you have experience with that letting go, releasing all that, the faster you and more committed you are to, I want to do this well because I don't want this holding on to me. Like It's like having an elephant sitting on your chest sometimes when you're, you know, continue to hold on to it. So, you know, Richard had an experience, and so did I. But when I was in 2017, <coughs> I, I was uh, I was having some so, some sort of an issue in my body, and they finally did a heart cath, and they found that the artery on top of my heart was 99 percent blocked, and they couldn't put a stint in there. They had opened my chest, <laughs> and I realized um, that that could have been curtains for me. I could have died from either the surgery or if they hadn't found it, yeah. I could have died. And that changed my perspective a lot, a whole lot on life and <clears throat> the brevity of life. And then Richard had, during the COVID period, had some sort of an infection. I don't know what you, what it was called or what you had. Double but, pneumonia. And I had double pneumonia at the same time. And, he talked about. He's told me that there were times he thought that this was it, and there was a couple times during mine that I thought that too. That I really thought I wasn't going to make it, and um, I remember thinking, and I think you did too, Rich. That do I do I want to leave chapters unfinished? Do I want to leave? Do, do if if I left the world today? Would I leave it a better place? Mm. And the the biggest thing that has happened in my life is what, that a story like you told at the beginning, Andrew, about that mom with that mm -hmm. little child. You know, I have no idea of the lives, and none of us do have any idea of the lives we touch. Yeah. Uh, none of us do. And people tell us things that we've said or done, and... For the most part, people have told me things that I've done that have been good, but I've had people tell me things that I did that weren't good, mm. and it hurts. It, it, break, it hurts my heart to think that I did that. So I guess just, I don't know, pray before you speak. <laughs> James says, uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, you oh, guys. Oh, absolutely! Awesome. I think so. Are cool. they going to write a? Are we going to write a book about your life? Is that are you? Is that in the works, <laughs> I, Andrew? I have six chapters written. Oh, it makes me so happy to hear. No, it stinks. No, I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> Listen, it's horrible. It's it can be. It is. Listen, when when I tell you the comments we get from this podcast, I will. I can guarantee you, no one's going to be like, "Yeah, that was boring. I don't want to read that book." No, when I talk, but it starts out. I was born in 1947, and I was overdosed. Oxygen and da, 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 da. and I read this thing and it's like this stinks. <laughs> and so my I actually one of my fortes is I think I can't remember the title for it. There's different types of editing that you do, and one of them is the organization of thought and the flow of thought. And 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 I've helped other people, and like one of them in particular, a friend of mine, he started his book that way because you think chronologically. That's what I yeah. And I and and. And I and I talked him into switching it, and so it was one of these. It was uh, he's been a part of seeing people raised from the dead. He was a firefighter, paramedic, and I said, "Start with one of those stories. You will grab everybody's attention, and then what you do is a transition. Like, <clears throat> okay, I, I want I want to talk to you about how to 
experience this type of amazing stuff in your Christian life. But it wasn't always that way for me. Let me tell you how things began. And but you are so gripped. Oh yeah. You know, and then and then it, but it was like you have to write a transition because this the reason this this um chapter is important, the beginning is important, but you have to explain to someone why. All you need is one sentence to take them to the next chapter. And and now that chapter is gripping because you're like, okay, I can identify with that. You are as boring and normal as I was, you know, and had all these strikes against you. How do you get to this type type of supernatural Christian life? And it's and it's it's that kind of thing. So you have those. You have those things, those moments in your life and the the things that you've accomplished that that people are like going, Okay, this is EF Hutton. You know, you grow a company that big, a blind guy grows a company that big. When Lou speaks, everybody listens. You know, <laughs> everybody laughs. No, um. <laughs> you know, somebody told me that the biggest mistake I made in writing this book because my my niece is a, a editor, and she said you tell people right in the beginning how you went blind. She says you got to bring that way toward yeah, the end of the yeah. book yeah. because that she said that's what they're going to be wondering through the whole book. And you shouldn't put this on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're going to be wondering that through the whole book. I, I mean, uh, but, but she said if you answer it in the first in the first uh, chapter, the book isn't worth reading. Mm. Yeah. So, are you going to finish the book? Uh, I, I don't. I don't like to read books. If if you published a book, I would buy it and I would read it. Every, I've never heard you tell a story and been like, oh, I, I, I was a waste I would, of time. I would give you the book. No, I know, but I'm yeah, probably the only <laughs> copy that would go on. <laughs> no, I, I'd read it too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> your mom would read it. <laughs> That's a, it's like it's like there's there's those people in your life that you're like, okay, I know that. They're going to tell me I did a good job. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, you, you said this, so if you want to put this on, go ahead. But my mom died in 2001. Uh-huh. So I'm at the dentist's office one day, and I heard the uh, nurse, or whatever they call it, dentist assistant, say the patient in there is blind. So apparently he has another blind patient. So before he gets to the room, he says, I saw your mom this morning. And I'm sitting in the chair like you did, you know. I don't say anything yet. And he says, and she really thinks you ought to quit smoking. And I said, how is my mom? And he comes around the corner and sees me. And he says, oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I said, if my mom's been dead since 2001. If you talk to her, I'd like to know how she's doing. <laughs> it was hilarious. I laughed so hard, and this poor guy is apologizing. apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too funny. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> that is so much fun. Oh, well, we have loved having you on. Yes, I'm pretty sure you'll be this. the number one requested back oh. podcast we've ever had, because this was so much fun. Well, I'm going to listen to them all. I will. Awesome. All right. Lou, will you close us in prayer? Will you pray for everyone who's listening and pray a blessing? and just Sure. That'd be awesome. That's the best part. Father God, Lord, thank you for this time, Lord. Lord, I've um, never done a podcast before, so this is a first for me, Father, but it's many for you, Father. Your whole word is a podcast to us. <clears throat> Father, I just pray that what silly stories I told or what experiences I've had in life possibly would bless somebody else, Lord. And 
Father, give people courage. Give them the heart and the willingness and the want to move forward, Lord, and overcome and bypass whatever blocks are in their way, being physical or, or, or real blocks or ones that are just um, created in their own minds. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the friendship I have with these people, especially Rich, one of my dearest friends. Father, I come to you with all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As always, like, comment, and share this podcast and let us know. We'll have links to Lou's book. Yes, as soon as it comes out. <laughs> Coming 2024. <laughs> yeah. Mull it over. <laughs>